Amen. Well, y'all did so good, we might as well say the pr- prayer and go home. Amen. Because I don't think I'm going to outdo that. What a song. What a song. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but I come today to tell you he's alive and they beat me to it. Amen. That, that is a song, a message. If you got your Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me this morning. I didn't got me shook up. I usually can stop praising and get kind of focused on the message before it, but that song, I just kind of got lost in the moment, amen. Praise God, that's good when that happens. Turn with me to John chapter 20. It's good to be back with y'all this morning. We missed y'all last week, but we had an awesome time with the Lord. It's good to come back and report to you, God ain't just here, amen. He was down there in Baton Rouge too, and we got to hang out down there in the promised land with some of my good best of buddies and had a great week, but I am so glad to be back here with you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. And I don't know about y'all, but one day I, I got washed by that blood and I got to Calvary and Calvary got to me. And I don't know about y'all, but I can honestly say my life's never been the same again. Amen. And I believe with all my heart, Jesus is alive that he changes lives and if you got problems today, if you got troubles today, you're at the right place because he is the living God of heaven and earth. We're going to read a passage right quick. It comes out of John's account. It's the morning of that we're celebrating today. The women are going down to the tomb in chapter 20, verse 1. And I want us to look at God's determined purpose. Jesus crucified dead and resurrected to life was God's plan before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan that Jesus would be crucified for the sins of those who he would create in his image, being me and you, so that he would pay the debt, take the punishment, and redeem us from the sin that would separate us from our Creator, our Heavenly Father. I don't know about you, but I can remember what it was like to be lost. I hope I never forget. But praise God this morning, I can tell you what it's like to be found. Amen. And to know that Jesus has come into our lives and made a difference for us. We're going to read right here and then we're going to pray and then we're going to dig into what God has gave me for y'all this morning. And the Bible says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and said to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and that would be John, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, John, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. And this is the verse I have up there. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Father in heaven, we want to thank you today that just as you planned before even eternity, That you would send your son, he would be born of a virgin, he would come fully God, fully man, he would live a life amongst us, and he would at the end of that life die for us. And though he would die on a cross for the sins of mankind, by the hands of sinful men, you have told us throughout the ages and through the word of God, that you would raise him up again on the third day. And because of that great truth, because of what Christ done for us, we have the hope of one day being raised again too, even if we die 
in the power of Christ's resurrection, we shall live again. And we celebrate that today, Lord, and ask you to speak to us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you ever heard the word providence? Providence. If you're saved, there's no such thing as luck or chance in your life. You have a sovereign God who nothing can happen that he doesn't allow. Who providentially watches over me in your life. Now you can do things because he gave you free will. But our God is so often that if you belong to him, if you're saved by his grace... That the Bible says that he'll work all things together for good for those of us who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm not here to tell you you can go out and live for the devil and serve the world and have a belly roll of flesh every day and just not expect things to happen. That ain't good. But I can tell you this. That our God is so awesome, even when you're not seeking him, he is seeking you, and he is taking your life if you've been bought, purchased, and redeemed by the blood of Christ, and his spirit lives in you. And he's even taking your mess-ups to work them together for good, so that the end, he can work out his purpose in your life. That's called providence. Providence is the conceived power of God sustaining and guiding human destiny. I don't know about y'all, but since I got saved, I can see even before I was saved now, the providential hand of God that's been watching over me since the day I was born. That has blessed me and helped me and sustained me. God's divine guidance and care is a great blessing. Can I get an amen? That he's watching over us today with a father's love who cares for us. And not only does he care for us, He's able to guide us and bless us. And that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. But in the end, God's perfect plan always will happen. And I want to talk to us this morning about God's determined purpose. You know, when you look at the cross, although it was man who crucified Christ, it was God who ordained it. It was his determined purpose. God determined before he ever said, let there be light, before he ever formed the earth, before he ever took the dirt and formed Adam and breathed the breath of life in him, God already had determined that Jesus would go to the cross. The cross wasn't a plan B. The cross has always been the plan. And he knew that he would work it out according to his determined purpose as he foreordained before he even created the earth. If you don't believe me, look at what he says. Peter's first sermon at the day of Pentecost. He's preaching to the Jews in the presence of the very Jewish leaders who put Jesus on the cross. Who lied and falsely accused him and set him up. Listen to what he says. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. He says, you have taken by your lawless hands. You crucified him and you put him to death. That's what you wanted to do. The amazing thing. When those wicked, religious, sinful, self-righteous, prideful, religious men perpetrated the greatest false truth and tragedy in all of history. They lied about God's son. They framed him. They perpetrated and manipulated to put him on the cross. It was God's plan the whole time. They were doing what they thought they wanted And as wicked as it was, it was accomplishing the greatest thing God ever done for us. He was purchasing our redemption, our salvation. And even though man put Jesus on the cross, it was God's predetermined purpose and done according to his already foreknowledge. He raised him up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that death could hold Jesus. And so I want you to look at another one. Although man nailed Christ to the cross, Jesus laid down his life willingly. He was not a martyr. He was a willing participant to be sacrificed. He could have stopped it at any time. At any moment, he could have called down angels. He could have told the Father, take this cup from me. I'm not going to be able to take it. But Jesus took it willingly. And he allowed men to nail him to the cross. Look at this, what Jesus said about himself. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. 
And look at what he says. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. Friends, never forget that Jesus allowed them to do to him what they'd done. Why would that be? Because he had this command he had received from his father. It was the father's will. You know, Jesus did go to the cross because he loves us and to save us. But that's not the main reason he went to the cross. Even above and beyond his immense love for us, he went because of the Father's will. And he took the cross for me and you. But one thing he knew, he said, if I do what the Father tells me, the Father will do what he's commanded and promised me. And though I lay it down, he's given me power to take it back up. Many times when you read the Gospels, Jesus would say stuff like this. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they go, he's nuts. Jesus told them over and over and over that the Son of Man must be crucified and placed into the hands of sinful men and die and be buried, but on the third day he will rise again. It wasn't a, shouldn't have been a surprise to him. Jesus has told us over and over. You see, God's determined purpose. Look at what it says right here. This is Luke's account. They came looking for him, and when they got there, the angels were sitting there, and they said, he's not here. <laughs> he's risen. The lady's like, where's he at? Where's he? Where, what has happened to him? And God says, the angel says, remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee? Saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Guys, the unbelievable, awesome thing is that Jesus died exactly according to where multiples of Old Testament prophecies had to happen exactly when where and how he died. That had been prophesied in the scriptures thousands, hundreds of years before. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was just chance or coincidence? Or do you think the providence of God might be at work? God ordained it. He determined it to be his purpose. And he made it happen not by his will, but by the free will of sinful men. Sinful men doing what they wanted to do actually accomplished in their rebellion and rejection of God exactly what he said he would do. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Sinful men nailed him to the cross. Sinful men brought him to the place where he would die and be crucified. And the third day, he would rise again. I don't know about y'all, but when I read these accounts and I look at them, it's unbelievable when I see that not only did Jesus lay down his life when he said he would, he raised it when he said he would. And friends, you know, you may not have ever noticed this, but the cross didn't kill Jesus. You're saying, what? No. Jesus gave his life up exactly when he was ready. He was on the cross. He had been beaten. He had been scourged. He had been placed a thorn of crowns upon his head and beaten with reeds till it pierced his scalp. And he was probably a normal man. Lots of normal men would have died already before he got to the cross from they, what they say could have happened to him. But then once he was on the cross, I want you to look at verse 28 of chapter 19. And look at what it says. Jesus did not die before he was supposed to. Jesus did not die until he had accomplished everything that the Father had put him on that cross for. And look at what it says in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished... <laughs> that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus never thought about himself till he fulfilled and accomplished everything that had to be done on the cross to accomplish the Father's will and secure our salvation. 
And once everything was done, he said, I'm thirsty. (laughs) You see, Jesus was a man. He wasn't just God. His body suffered and struggled. He felt all the pain and the agony of the horrendous punishment that was afflicted upon him. Yet he was never not 100% the divine son of God. And he hung there accomplishing God's predetermined purpose. And when he had accomplished that and said, I thirst, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine. They put it in his, and they put it in his mouth and Jesus drank it because he was really thirsty. But look at verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. What's finished? Everything that had to be accomplished. Everything that would make God's divine purpose be fulfilled. (laughs) And friends, never make a mistake. It was very uncommon for someone to die this early on in the cross. The cross could last sometimes for two to three days. Remember, there was two other people put on the cross with him on each side. They had been up there the same amount of time. They had both been going through the same punishment. Yet when Jesus realized that everything had been accomplished, that the scripture had been fulfilled, that God's purpose, predetermined purpose had been fulfilled. Look at the bottom part of verse 30. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. One day, every one of us is going to give up our spirit. The spirit of who we are, our soul, our spirit is going to leave this body and it's going to be returned to the creator. And friends, Jesus when it was in his control, he gave his spirit back to the Father. Friends, you say, well, that's not really that big of a thing. Well, if he was able to make his death happen exactly when he wanted it to happen, the amazing thing, he was also able to raise himself up exactly when he said it would happen. It's a historical fact None disputed. You can go to Israel. We went. That there is a place called the Holy Land. That you can go to a city named Jerusalem. And you can see everything that is in the Bible. It's still there. Archaeology has proven it over and over and over. They'll bring you to a place that looks like the skull. It's told us that it was the hill called Golgotha. The place of Calvary where Jesus was crucified. It's exactly in the distance that would fit with the scriptures. I'm not saying 100% that that's the hill, but there was a hill right in that area where Jesus hung on a cross one day. Historical, not disputed, even by people who don't believe the Bible. It, It happened. And he died on the cross like many, many, many people did in those days. It was not uncommon for people to be crucified all around Jerusalem. And right from there, just like the scriptures described... Because the tomb was nearby, there's a place that they brought us. We looked at it. They tell us that they believe by everything they can find, by archaeology and historians and everything that they can use, that this is the actual tomb where they placed Jesus. And so we got to look at it, me and Diane. I'm not here to tell you. I know for 100% it is, but I can tell you what, historically, Everything agrees that there was an historical Jesus who lived and walked upon this earth. An historical Jesus died on a cross. An historical Jesus was buried in a tomb. That happens. You can't dispute it. It's real. You can walk right over there and follow his passion week and walk down the same streets doing the same thing and going to the same places he went on his last few days upon the earth. But what they try to dispute is the resurrection. Oh, he didn't really raise from the dead. Well, friends, when you study it out, you look. If those Jews could have found that body, they'd have found it, I'm here to tell you. They did everything they could. If you go read Matthew's account, they went to Pilate and said, you know, this deceiver said that in three days he would raise himself from the dead. So to keep them from stealing his body and making his deception even worse. Could we have a detachment of soldiers? He said, you have a guard of centurions. Take them, secure the tomb as best you can. 
And so the Jews themselves went down to the tomb and they secured the tomb with a guard of Roman centurion soldiers and they sealed it. And they were there watching it. Friends, some people say that he really wasn't dead, that they really didn't kill him. Well, I want you to look and see what it says right below where we just had finished reading. It says in verse 31, therefore, because it was the preparation day, the preparation day being the Passover. They were preparing for the Passover, and also it was a double high holiday. It was not only the preparation day that they prepared for the Passover, but it was also a Sabbath. And so it says right there, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the Jews, they're not very righteous, but they're very religious. They said, it's not right. God would be upset if we leave them hanging there after 6 o'clock. That's what time it would have started. So you got to get them down. Hurry this up. Go break their legs. Breaking their legs was a merciful thing, believe it or not, because what would happen on a cross, you would lift and you would hold up as long as you could with the nails through your feet to hold up so you could breathe. And then when you would drop down, it would crush you where you couldn't get air. And they'd almost suffocate and they'd raise up and they'd get some air and they'd breathe as long as they could. Then they'd finally, through just weakness and fatigue, go back down. And there's people known to stay on that cross three days. Pilate was shocked when they went back and said, he's dead already. How did he die so quickly? Are you sure he's dead? That's what Pilate said. They said, oh, yeah, he's dead. Guys, these guys crucified people every day. That's what they'd done. This wasn't just a rare occasion. They crucified people all the time. They were professionals. And they knew how to tell if someone was dead. But just to make sure... When they went to Jesus, they said, he's already dead. Look at this. Why was he already dead? Because he gave up his spirit. He went to be with the Father. And it says right there, therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, they went to Pilate. Verse 32, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Friends, not only did he pierce him enough to where blood and water came out of his side, he opened his cavity, but later on, even after he was resurrected, he was able to tell his apostles, if you don't believe it's me, Put your fingers in the holes of my feet. Look at my hand. Stick your hand, not finger, in my side. And friends, it was all prophesied. Not only that Jesus would be crucified. Not only that it would be where it happened and how it happened. But it was prophesied thousands of years before that they would not break his legs. And that they would look upon him in whom they pierced. All of that was to fulfill scripture. And verse 35 says, and he who has seen this has testified, that's John himself, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says that they shall look on him whom they pierced. And this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission <coughs> so that he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, who came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 100 pounds, the Bible says in verse 40, then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. You can go there. We went. They'll show it to you. It's, you, you go and the Bible comes alive. You can stand on the Mount of Olives. You can see the Garden of Gethsemane right below you. You can see the Eastern Gate in the temple. You can see Caiaphas' house. You can see Santonio's fortress where they brought Jesus and beat him and whipped him. It's all in walking distance, my friend. And that hill is right up above there right outside of the gates of Jerusalem. It looks like a skull. It was, I said, that's got to be it. That is it. That's what they tell us. And it may not be that exact hill, but I'm here today to tell you there was a hill. There was a place called Calvary. There was a cross where the Jew named Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, was hung for your sins. They killed him. They did everything man could do to him. And when God allowed man to do everything he could do. He let man take him down. Man buried Jesus. And friends, all of this was done in front of the women and the apostles. They were there. They watched it. The women followed him. They seen where they put him. So they didn't get mixed up and go to the wrong tomb. They knew what tomb it was. So people say, well, Jesus was probably when he got put in the tomb being in the coolness of the tomb and laying there, the coolness helped him and he resuscitated. Friends, uh, someone who went through what Jesus went through and was resuscitated and brought back to life, he wouldn't have been able to do the things that they say he did afterwards. He wouldn't have been able to impress 11 apostles that when they seen him, when after being with him for 40 days after he was resurrected, they were so changed, they were so convinced that 10 out of the 11 died for this one thing. We've seen him. He was alive. He rose from the dead. Some of them were tortured. Some of them was crucified. Peter upside down. Some were stabbed with spears. Friends, listen. You might find 10 men to die for a cause, but not a cause that they know is a lie. Not one of them backed down. Every one of them said, no, he was alive. He was resurrected. We seen him. He was walking with power. He came through doors. He showed up where he willed. We touched his feet. We touched his hands. We put our hand in his pierced side. And he is resurrected. Take more than a resuscitated man to do that. But guys, listen. Even though people try to find all these reasons, they try to say they stole the body. I'm going to show you one of the most, to me personally, the most faith-producing pieces of evidence for the, God, for the resurrection that I find in any of the four Gospels. It personally did to me just what it did to the Apostle John. Here's Jesus. They put the strips of cloth on him. They had put already aloe and myrrh on him. The ladies were just going back to finish his preparation. And they laid him in the tomb and they seen him do it. Over a hundred pounds of aloe and myrrh in strips. If you go look in chapter 11, I don't know exactly what Jesus done when he raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus wasn't resurrected like Jesus because the Bible says Jesus is the first who was resurrected. But Jesus did speak and Lazarus woke up. But when he came out of the clothes, he had to tell him out of the grave, he said, go over there and loose him. They had to take the grave clothes off of him. They, they prepared Jesus as best they could. They laid him in that grave. The ladies seen it. The apostles seen it. They sealed it. Didn't the Pharisees went and got a detachment of soldiers and guarded it. If somebody would have went and stole the body, they'd have been in haste. Amen. First of all, it'd have been very difficult to roll that stone back. And then once you'd have been trying to get that body out of there without those Roman soldiers following you. And if the Jews who would have come and stole it, they'd have been wanting to do it in a way that the apostles wouldn't have known. But I can promise you one thing that neither one would have done. They wouldn't have took time to take the grave clothes off of Jesus and leave them laying exactly the way they were when they laid him. And they certainly wouldn't have taken time 
to take the face cloth off of Christ and neatly fold it and sit it over by itself next to those grave cloths. When Jesus the next morning was missing, it says in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. May I tell you, they didn't move it to let Jesus out. God moved that stone to let them in. And they go down there. Then they, she ran and she came to Simon. And as they're there, she didn't even look, it says. She ran back and came to Simon and Peter and to the other disciple who was John, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. I've always identified myself with Peter. I really now identify myself with Peter because John smoked him in a foot race. <laughs> so they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb. You know, they talk about John being humble. He wasn't that humble. He wanted to put it in the word of God that we would eternally know I outran old Peter that day. And they, they run. So that tells me they was running fast they could because he said, I outran him. And Peter and him get there. And stooping down and looking in, they saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Here they are, they're lying right where Jesus had been lying. These things wouldn't have come off easily. And they're right where they were when they left Jesus before they sealed the tomb. And the Bible says, and he's stooping down looking. He saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there also. And the handkerchief. The handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head. Not lying with the rest of the linen cloths, but folded together in its place. And that apparently got John's attention. It got my attention one day. I want to ask you, has the resurrection account ever got your attention that you diligently studied all four accounts and looked and checked and re-looked and studied and meditated and said, God, show me what really happened because he can do that. And on that day, John says that we are a lot like them. Have you believed yet? Because on that day, John says, then the other disciple, me, who came to the tomb first, went in also. And when I seen that folded up handkerchief over there by itself and those linen cloths the way they were, John said, and when I saw that, I believed. Apparently, Peter didn't believe yet and the rest of them didn't believe yet because he says, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I want to ask you something. You ever just take time to meditate and say, God, give me a Holy Ghost imagination to see and think about what happened? I'm telling you what I believe happened. I believe they put this over Jesus, and they prayed him as best they could, believing that he was going to be dead for a long, long time. And I believe Jesus laid there that first day. And I believe Jesus laid there that second day. But oh, when Sunday showed up. Somewhere during them three days, Jesus, just like he said, raised himself from the dead. Jesus woke up. He wasn't frantic like a man who would have just woke up by natural resuscitation. He'd have been ripping stuff off. He'd have been looking around. He'd have been stumbling in the dark. Where am I at? How did I get here? What's happened? But not Jesus. Jesus laid there. The first thing he said was, Good morning, Father. Praise your holy name. And I believe as Jesus was sitting there, them two angels was already there. Because I guarantee you God had angels watching over Jesus just like the devil had them centurions watching over him 
And there's a battle going on of spiritual, eternal value. It's evil and the devil and hell and it's goodness and the righteousness of the kingdom. And God and his son has paid the price. He's fulfilled everything that he came to do. He's accomplished the Lord's purpose determined before all of mankind. And he wakes up just like he was supposed to. When he said he would, and when he woke up, he wasn't frantic. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. I believe he took that cloth. He looked up and said, hey, boys, how you angels doing? Y'all been here all weekend? Appreciate you watching over me. You know why you're here? There's some women on their way down here that are coming to look for me. Would you knock that stone out of the way for them? Peter will be coming along shortly. He laid it down. He stood up. And the living God of heaven in all of his resurrected glory walked out of that tomb and went about business as he determined to do. That's what I believe happened. Doesn't make any sense. Why would God put that in there? John, when he seen that folded napkin, He said, Jesus done that. I was just saved in January. Went to my first Easter to a little church named Menna Branch Baptist Church. Little country preacher, bivocational, Kenneth Jones. He preached this sermon. He didn't preach exactly like me, but he preached about this handkerchief. And I was struggling like all new Christians. Do I really believe everything? Do I believe the Bible? I had accepted Christ. My faith was still in the the early stages of being formed and grown by grace and strengthened. How many of you knows what I'm talking about? Man, I had just enough to get saved. But once I got saved, God said, now I'm going to give you enough that you can live and walk in victory. Now I'm going to raise up a faith in you that's going to help you overcome the devil. Now I'm going to show you things you never could have seen until... You believed, and I believed enough that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he died for my sins. But I didn't understand the importance of believing and seeing. And, and, and that preacher preached that, and he held that. And I can't explain it. You ever had it happen? When you're sitting there thinking, this was the day the Lord picked me out of the crowd. He put his finger on me. He touched me. We got in the car, and they was having dinner on the grounds. We was pulling out, leaving, going home. I told Diane, Jesus is real. He's real. She was looking at me like, yeah, he's real. What's wrong with you? I said, did they say they was having dinner on the grounds and had a gospel group coming and they're going to sing? She said, yeah. I said, let's go back. We went back in there. We hung out. And I want to tell you something. I ain't never doubted. There ain't enough preachers. There ain't enough liberal college professors that can take all of their philosophy and tell me there ain't no resurrection because that's right there enough for me but it ain't enough just for me anymore I can't explain what happened to me any more than I can explain what happened to those apostles their life was never the same after the resurrection you couldn't shut them up you couldn't back them up they stood for Christ to the end even to death something happened to them The only thing I can find is that they seen a resurrected Jesus, not a resuscitated Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. And friends, they struggled with faith just like us. That evening, the women, they go and they start telling them, we seen him after you and Peter left, he showed up. He's alive. He said to go to Galilee to the place he showed you and he would show himself to you. And they're just like us. They're scared. They're freaking out. They're confused. And the Bible says in verse 19, then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he begins to breathe on them, the Holy Spirit. He begins to strengthen them. He begins to work into their life. Has God not breathed into you since the day you believed in him enough to say, God, I trust you? 
Has God not been at work in you? If this thing called Christianity wasn't real, it would have ended a long time ago. I'm a firm believer that if any secular business operated like the average Baptist church, it would be out of business a long time ago. It's got to be the divine purpose and plan of God that keeps us going. And friends, they believed. So they come and they tell a man named Doubting Thomas. He was the only one who wasn't there. And he says, I don't believe it. And the other disciples said, we have seen the Lord, verse 25. So he said to them, unless I see the hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What more do you need to believe today? What would it take for you to believe to be saved? To trust Jesus with the most important thing you'll ever entrust him with. Your eternity. Where are you going to go when you die? When you breathe your last. Trust him with what will happen to you next. Because that's the whole reason he came. And he says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas... With them, Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst, and he said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger in here. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. That's what God would want to say to every one of us in here this morning. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And he says, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We may not ever see him the way they saw him. But God's gave you everything you need to know this day to trust him enough to be saved. While Jesus was on the earth, he did many astounding miracles. One of the most astounding is in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, a family who Jesus loved, who knew him intimately and personally, named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus got sick. Lazarus died. And Jesus tarried, and he didn't get there in time. Four days later, Jesus shows up at their house. And when he's coming, all the Jews and all our friends are gathered around him, trying to comfort him, trying to help him like we do when someone dies. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming. And the Bible says in verse 20 of chapter 11, so then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have to die. And we've all thought that, anyone who's buried a loved one. But we're all going to sooner or later die. Because the wages of sin is death. And it's been appointed every man to die once and then the judgment. But Jesus looks at her. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Friends, I'm going to tell you what. He wasn't talking about then either. He was talking about eternally. I don't know about y'all, but whenever I do a funeral, the greatest thing I have to tell somebody is not how good their loved one was, not how wonderful he was. The only thing I have worth telling them is that in Jesus you can rise again. Because anything else is futile. It's over. And she looks at him and she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And this is what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may shall die, he shall live. And then Jesus asked the greatest and most important question you'll ever answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Friends, I'm asking you today, do you believe in the resurrection? 
You say, well, I don't know if I got to believe that. Yes, you do. The Bible says in Romans 10, 8, what does the word say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If he couldn't overcome death, what makes you think he's going to help you overcome death? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one makes salvation. You see, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, that he was buried, that on the third day he rose again, enough to confess with your mouth, believing it is unto righteousness, confessing is unto salvation. Listen what Paul preached years later to the Corinthian church. Paul says in chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection for sin. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. And then what did he tell them? For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Peter and then by the 12 and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part still remain present with us today and after that he was seen by James then all of the rest of the apostles James his own brother while Jesus lived, did not believe, but when he seen the resurrected Jesus, he became an apostle and he wrote the book of James. I'm trying to show you the overwhelming evidence that you're not taking a blind faith. You're taking a God-given faith that can save your soul. And after that, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. That's the Apostle Paul. I ain't actually seen him yet, but I've seen evidence of him. Can I get an amen? I've watched his work. I've seen in 25 years of standing up here preaching Easter sermons and in between doing ministry in a pastoral sense, over and over and over, God changed people's lives. Or I wouldn't stand here. Today, I don't know how empty you may be. I don't know how... Little your faith might be, but if you could just get enough faith to say, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And Lord, I'm putting my trust and hope that you were put on that cross. You did die for me. Yes, they buried you. And just like that scriptures just showed us, on the third day you rose again. And Lord, today, just as you rose for me, I'm rising for you. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm going to come. I'm going to do my best. And you come and you mean it in your heart. And you believe that the gospel is true that's what makes us right. And then you're willing to confess it with your mouth. You will be saved. I don't know about y'all, but the resurrection, without the resurrection, we have no faith. If the resurrection's not true, we're all here this morning in vain. We should have went fishing, golfing, whatever it is you like to do. But if the resurrection is real, we all need to be here praising and giving glory to God for his Eternal purpose. I don't got so caught up in this. I can't remember if I got another slide or not. Let's look. If we don't, we'll have the invitation. That's it. So it's up to you now. Do you believe? If you die right now, are you ready to go to heaven? Because I'm here to tell you by the authority of that word of God in Jesus. If you die without Christ and you're not saved, you will go to hell. But I don't know about y'all, but when she was singing that song, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold Me Down, I was going back to a place that wasn't a present place to be when we laid my daddy there. It wasn't a present place to be when we laid my only brother there. There's a space right next to it where one day we'll lay my little mama. 
It's Denneker Cemetery right outside of Madisonville, Louisiana. And as we were singing that song a while ago, I was saying, one of these days, ain't no grave going to hold them down. My daddy's coming out. My brother's coming out. I don't want to be cremated just for one reason. I want to be buried somewhere where I can tell that grave when Jesus shows up. <laughs> you ain't got me. Ah, come out. That's what Easter's about. It ain't about bunnies and rabbits and all that garbage that the devil is palm up with. It's about the resurrection of the Son of God and eternal salvation. And you better get on board with him. Because all you got if you don't have this is Easter bunnies and candy. I'm telling you today, I love you. God loves you. He'll save you. You need to step out. He went to Calvary for you. He died on that hill publicly for you. The least you can do is publicly say, I'm coming to profess that I believe in my heart. I don't know about y'all, but ever since I've been doing that, I've been blessed. How about you? So let's stand together. This is not no Easter. This is a resurrection Sunday. This is your Sunday. What better Sunday to get saved than resurrection Sunday? So if this is your hour, this is your moment, I'm going to ask you to come. We're going to be baptizing next Sunday. We'll baptize you. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. I'm going to invite you to come. But I'm going to tell you, don't sit there idle. Thank God Jesus came and died for us. And God raised him from the dead. What a message. Amen. Father in heaven, I believe there's someone here today who needs to do business with Jesus. Their heart right now is in turmoil. They're, they're struggling. There's that holy, holy, divine intervention going on. Lord, it's your providence. It's your plan that they would be saved by your grace. That's why you sent Jesus. You don't desire for any man to perish, but that all might be saved. Lord, today, if there is one in the sound of my voice that's undone, please let him be saved. Help him and give him that faith like you've did all those of who are that we might step out and come to Jesus. Lord, thank you again for the resurrection of Christ, for the hope that one day we'll all be together. But until then, Lord, send your spirit, empower your word, save the lost, and encourage those of us who are saved and strengthen us. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. This is your moment. If you're not saved, you can be right now if you'll only humble yourself and come. He's calling.